It's March 1st, 2023, and in case you're wondering, the federal government, big tech, big media, and big pharma, yeah, they're all still lying to you. The show starts now. The cat is out of the bag and people who eat bats at wet markets have been somewhat vindicated. COVID most likely originated from a Wuhan lab leak. Yeah, no duh. But if you think Fauci, Democrats, big media and big tech will apologize or even so much as acknowledge this new assessment by the Department of Energy, well, don't hold your breath. Instead, they've enlisted big yet no longer funny entertainment to belittle and further deny this new revelation. Bad energy department. No bio labs until you finish building your electric car charging stations. Stay in your lane. You don't see. You don't see. You don't see. You don't see the Census Bureau building nukes. But whatever. Who am I to say? They're the energy department. I'm sure they're smart. They wouldn't release these findings unless they were absolutely confident. What's that? They made their judgment with low confidence. Yeah. You can tell by the way they deliver the news. Um, maybe it was a lab leak. That's stupid. Forget I said anything. Listen, Stephen, if you want a dog on a government department, may I suggest the Department of Transportation and its chest-feeding fearless leader? But, folks, this is the same old tired song and dance that conspiracy theorists are proven right, the left has egg on its face, so now they'll attempt to put the genie back in the bottle to save face and continue their lies. The liberals cling on to that low confidence and lab leak theory caveat to undermine the findings, and it's almost like they've used that tactic before, like with a certain crackhead's laptop. We are at the point now where anyone who claims anything is either misinformation or disinformation or a conspiracy theory is probably the one lying. It's called gaslighting, and the Democrats, well, they are great at it. But the silver lining in all of this is our House Republican Oversight, who held a hearing last night in primetime to address the ongoing Chinese threat and origins of COVID. Every important hearing needs to be done like that, in primetime, in our faces, unavoidably in our faces. Then those mean mainstream media outlets who ignore it will show their hands to the American people. Biden is running cover for China. The media is running cover for Biden. It's about damn time someone runs cover for the American people and the truth. But still ahead, from the lab leak to DeSantis versus Disney, SCOTUS and student loans and so much more, let's dig into all of it next. Yesterday, the Supreme Court heard arguments in the Biden administration 400 billion plus student loan forgiveness racket. Now, if you'll recall, just like every other stupid idea that's come out of this administration, Biden wants you and I to pay for the worthless gender studies degrees of brat college students who can't or simply would rather not pay back the student loans they, in their own free will, took out. But not only is the whole premise of this forgiveness plan infuriating, it's blatantly unconstitutional given Congress didn't approve this debt relief and the move was made to curry favor with young people, though the administration knew full well it didn't pass legal muster. Joining me now with his take on that and so much more is chairman of the 1776 Project PAC, Ryan Gerdusky. Ryan, great to have you. Thanks for having me, Tommy. So I follow you on Twitter and I saw that you are just as fired up about this whole student loan thing as I am. You know, we know that this is in the Supreme Court's hands right now. But what do you make of all of this? Do you think that we're going to be shocked here and the Supreme Court is going to say that what Biden did actually passes constitutional muster? 
No, I don't. I think that it was very clearly looking like it was going against the Biden administration. That we're gonna, it is the Supreme Court, so you never know. But I have a hard, hard time believing that they're going to rule the president can act this way using dollars that he's in control without Congress. I think the most infuriating part, though, however, is the fact that this does nothing to actually improve the crisis with colleges. College prices are going up faster than inflation on basically less than any other product you possibly get. And a lot of people really do want to go to college to do good things like engineering or doctors or whatnot. Um, but at this, but the problem is, is that the price is out of control and the price is out of control because the government is heavily subsidizing it. So what does the government do? Subsidize it more. It's a catch-22. There's no incentive to decrease prices or to hold colleges accountable for the excessive amount of DEI officers that they have, the excessive amount of salaries they have for college presidences, um, and, and it's become problematic. So not only is it unconstitutional, but doesn't do anything to actually long-term fix the problem. It certainly doesn't, and I've been talking about that for so long now. Colleges love when the government gets involved in this and starts giving forgiveness because then they have no incentive to lower their costs at all. They keep jacking it up, and then students don't see the connection. They just think that someone is supposed to forgive it. They look to the almighty taxpayer to do it instead of looking at these institutions and thinking, wow, maybe this is a lot of money to go to this school, and maybe I shouldn't get this degree because it's a lot of money to get a probably worthless degree. And I also worry that we are teaching young people who already have had their brains melted by social media and primarily <laughs> TikTok, we are teaching them that you can buy things and then not have to pay for them. Now, young people already struggle with finances and understanding how to pay bills, understanding that everything is not supposed to be given to them. They're not entitled to everything. What message do you think this sends? You know, we see them out there protesting, wanting everything free. If this somehow were to pass, or even if it doesn't, what do you think college kids and young people and liberals, green hair as I call them, what do you think their reaction is going to be to all this? <laughs> Are they going to blame Biden? Because they should blame Biden because he did this knowing it wasn't constitutional. Or are they going to blame Republicans in the Supreme Court? They'll blame Republicans in the Supreme Court. I mean, that's it's it's the, the narrative is already being written. So it's the same people who, you know, struck down Roe v. Wade. It's these big, bad, you know, seven, six conservative members of the Supreme Court. Um, but I think that, look... Starting young people off with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt is less than ideal. It's less than our education system is a less than ideal way to sit there and do it. And boomers, especially being unsympathetic, saying when I, I went to school and I paid for it, even though their school was, you know, a few thousand dollars a year. I think that we really need there's several things in this country that are really not going well. And rather than throwing band-aids on bullet holes and sitting there and saying, oh, it'll all get better. Um, we actually should tackle this and say, how do we make an education system that does teach people vital, necessary and vital occupations and, and skills to learn to get a job when they graduated college? Um, and at the same time, doesn't leave them and saddle them hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. There has to be a way other countries do it, and it doesn't all have to be subsidized by the government. There really could be a, a maybe more free market way of getting this under control and people coming out of college with skills necessary to you know, work the economy. Well, that's another thing that frustrates me with the left's argument on this is they say other countries, they pay for college just like we pay for high school, we pay for middle school, elementary school. They say other countries do it. But if you talk to people that are going to those higher institutions in other countries, they'll tell you it's incredibly competitive. You can't just make a C average and go to these universities and get it paid for. <laughs> it's incredibly competitive and you actually have to work hard and then you're going to work that hard and go there and you're probably not going to get a you know women's studies degree because you realize that it's worthless. So when people use that example, it frustrates me to no end. But also, I think the icing on the cake here is that a lot of college students are getting ready to embark on spring break 
here this week or in the next several weeks. And so the same people that are crying on the steps of the Supreme Court to have their student loans forgiven are out there wearing Apple watches and Golden Goose shoes and wanting to travel to Cabo uh, to have a, a wonderful spring break. So I know I sound like one of those 30-year-old really old people who's like kids these days, but quite honestly, kids these days, it frustrates me. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And listen, I mean, I say other countries, you know, there's countries like Germany where a lot of a lot of kids don't go to college and they go to learn skills and trade schools. And there's a heavy trade school economy and corporations sometimes will sponsor them to learn specific trades to work in their corporations. There's other ways to do this that are not necessarily to get a liberal arts degree that's not for everybody. And a lot of people go, don't graduate. And even more infuriating now, the meritocracy in universities has been completely taken out. There's a lot of diversity people who got there because of the diversity standards or because they are the children of rich people. So it is harder to get into these very few schools that are extremely elite and extremely well-to-do. And those who get in necessarily aren't really working for it. Some are, but a lot of them are either born well or fill the right identity card. Um, so it's it's really, I mean, the way the colleges are working right now is a long-term, deep-seated problem on many different fronts. And it's only going to get worse. And Biden sitting there and saying, just give everyone $20,000 off does not make the situation any better longer than, you know, a few more minutes for those people who have those specific debts. But five years down the line, six years down the line, it's like the border. You leave it open. I don't care if you grant amnesty. You're going to have an open border. This is the same thing. It's just a, a Band-Aid to make a long-term problem go away. I agree with you, and I'm glad that you brought up diversity picks. That's the next thing I want to turn to. You know, here is what's happening that I knew was going to happen. We all knew was going to happen, and it saddens me. It really breaks my heart. What happened in East Palestine, Ohio? So last week, everyone was really fired up about it. And when I say everyone, I mean conservatives and conservative media. They were very fired up about it, right? And that Pete's absence, Joe's absence, but just like I thought was going to happen, the news cycle continues on. These people are still breathing toxic fumes. These people still might have children that grow legs out of their ears. And we've largely forgotten about Ohio. We've largely forgotten about these people. Pete Buttigieg certainly has. He's no longer in the hot seat for it. So what do you think is going to happen? And do you think it's going to make a difference being that Ohio is a swing state in 2024? Are they going to remember this in a couple years? Well, Ohio has been moving away. Ohio is basically a Republican state. Ohio state legislature is more Republican than Texas is. Um, so I think that's partially the reason why they're not getting as much, you know, view. And look. If you look at the entire Midwest, how long did Flint go with toxic water? How long now is Palestine, Ohio gone without, you know, having the president visit there? These are the forgotten people. And it's partially because in the case of Palestine, Ohio, because they're poor white people. But a big part of it is because they're poor people and they don't live on the coast and they don't have a, you know, a nice story of being a migrant crossing the border. Um, and they're easily forgettable. And that's the kind of message that really appealed when Trump ran. And Trump's the tr best moment of Trump's entire presidential campaign this time is his visit there. Um, and it would behoove a lot of politicians to sit there and really make their way to give, you know, some spotlight to these very poor people who we don't know what the water situation is like. If if this pollution has gone into the ground, has sedimented into the ground, what does that look like? Most of Northeast Ohio, I've been there many times, has well water. Um, that is problematic, possibly. So I think that that is something that they should be looking at. And yeah, they should be. I mean, Mayor Pete is the worst person hired in the Biden administration. And that says a lot. It does. We actually have. Yay. I mean, that's just what it is. Well, we actually have a clip of him kind of explaining away everything that's going on. And 
Imagine that it's about climate change. Let's take a listen. <laughs> climate, climate is not nonsense. Dealing with climate change is one of the biggest things that people like me and people like him will be remembered for after we're gone. Brian, I want to talk about this because we have an election that is coming up and we say coming up. We still got a long time. It's essentially coming up because everyone's gearing up. So climate change is something that the left pushed last time. They've continued to push big green. And then, of course, they prey on all the vulnerable little tree huggers out there that think that this is actually about the environment. But I wonder, one, number one, is Pete's political career over? And two, how big of a deal is climate change going to be in the coming election? Well, there was a poll done recently, and Pete loses to Kamala if Biden doesn't run. And you have to be really unpopular to lose to Kamala. So I think so. It's not like he can return to Indiana, where he was hated as the mayor of South Bend. Um, and climate change is just not an issue a lot of people care about, certainly not minority Democrat voters. They don't care. This is You have to be very privileged in life to make climate change your number one issue year in and year out. Um, and that's the truth of it. And what people will remember of Pete Buttigieg's time is, it, you know, in the, in the Department of Transportation is, uh, let's see, planes that can't fly uh, were constantly being grounded, ships that couldn't make to the ports and prices were going up, and uh, and a railroad crash that, that led to toxins being put into the atmosphere for uh, and the environment all over Northeast Ohio. I, until you met, until you deal with quality of life issues, every other niche issue you may have, regardless of your political ideology, doesn't matter. When the roads don't work, when tra trains can't trains can't get anywhere, they're crashing. When planes are delayed constantly, when prices go because of shipping, no one really cares what your little niche issue is, or that you're on six months paternity leave, or you know you're uh, you're have a million Instagram followers. Literally, no one cares. He is the worst person hired in the Biden administration, and Biden picked Kamala. Right. Well, he can't gay this away, but I will also say, <laughs> I, I don't think he is the worst. I think Karine Jean-Pierre is the worst, and she can't gay anything away either. So they're in a real tough spot. The last thing I want to oh. ask you about, though, is uh, <laughs> I'm glad that I could make you laugh. That's good for me. And maybe I'll have a career in that someday. You never know. But I want to yeah. ask you about Ron DeSantis, and I want to ask you about the battle with Disney. So I think he's winning this battle. Uh, I know that there are some people that are really disgruntled about it because they want Disney to have all the perks and privileges because now I guess they believe in big corporations <laughs> getting sweetheart deals. But do you think everything that Ron DeSantis has done when it comes to Disney, when it comes to the way that he's run Florida, the way that he's traveled to other states, do you think that this is setting him up for a great success if he announces, and we think he will, in the coming months? DeSantis is has when it comes to Disney. DeSantis has a very uh, hard road with with what he did because not because he you know attacked the big giant corporation Disney and he took away their special privileges, but he had promised to sit there and take away their tax free their tax cut or whatever the case was, and that would have made seven hundred thousand residents in that part of Florida have to take a multi billion dollar bill, and he didn't want to do that, so he ended up walking that back. I think that that but. Other than that, he's had a fairly flawless time as governor of Florida. He certainly is. I, I wasn't born in 1976 when Ronald Reagan campaigned against uh, Gerald Ford, but this is what it feels like as if we have somebody in the wings in a way that I don't really remember, you know, ever in my lifetime. Mitt Romney certainly didn't feel that when, and John McCain neither when, when, uh, when we ran in 2008. So uh, I think that he absolutely does. And I think that if I could advise DeSantis on one thing, it's that you can't win on culture wars alone. Part of what Trump appealed to when he ran
and in 2016, the first time, was economic populism and the idea of repatriating manufacturing and doing an infrastructure bill and, and helping economically the working class would vote a Democrat because their economics appeals more centrist than right wing. So I think that part of that agenda has to be put into it. But other than that, he is the, you know, probably the leader. I think so, too. I know that you wrote about this and I found it quite interesting. You talked about the Bill Maher voter and that's mm -hmm. the white non-religious voter. Do you think yeah. uh, Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump? We know Donald Trump really got him the last time. But between the two of them, who do you think gets that Bill Maher voter, as you called it? Yeah, I wrote this in my Substack, the National Populist Substack. Thanks for, for reading it. Um, the, the thing about DeSantis is that he's making the big flaw right now, which is the six-week abortion ban. Most people do not support a, a, support a six-month abortion ban. A lot, even 50-50 support a 16-week abortion ban or 15-week, which is the case right now in Florida. Very, very, very few. You go from 50% approval rating for a 15-week abortion ban to a 28, 29% approval rating for a six-week abortion ban. That is a mistake if he thinks he has to do that to appeal to evangelicals. He doesn't. And that will deter people. Non-religious people who are more moderate, they they hate the woke stuff. They hate the crime stuff. They voted for Donald Trump in a way they didn't vote for John McCain or Mitt Romney or George W. Bush because they didn't feel like he was going to beat them over the head with the Bible. That's, Trump still has that because they don't view him as religious. DeSantis is going to lose part of those voters by going too heavily on, uh, on the pro-life stuff. And I'm pro-life. I just think it's too heavily because it's not supported by enough people. Glad that you brought that up. Been saying it for a while now. I hope that Ron DeSantis and Republicans learn their lesson by the tiny little pink splash that we had in November midterms. I think likely because of Roe v. Wade, though people didn't really understand it. They didn't understand what it meant. The states that wanted to go to extremes because of it. I think that that's a large reason why we lost a lot of races that we should have won is because in the back of their minds, people thought Republicans are going to take away abortion or they're going to heavily restrict it. I think we need to learn our lesson. You were exactly right. We need to go back to America first policies that make everybody a little bit more wealthy and maybe bring down the cost of eggs. That would be wonderful. And, and you know what, Tommy, one last thing. It's, if you're pro-life, it's really important right now to try to win some hearts rather than winning some laws. We really, if you want to sit there and do something, become an activist in preventing women from getting abortion, be there for them, financially support them, try to win their hearts. That's the most important thing we could do right now. Amen, because government screws everything up. So why we want something like that <laughs> in the hands of the government has been my argument for many, many years now. Rhino, I want to have you back very soon. I appreciate all of your wisdom, and I especially appreciated that article that you wrote. I'll see you very soon. Thank you. All right. Coming up, my next guest says, while they continue to label parents domestic terrorists for battling the woke army, school boards ought to be warned that mama bears are prepared to die on this hill. Azra Omani, co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement and former professor at Georgetown University, joins me next. My next guest is a mother and former Georgetown University professor who is hell-bent on battling what she calls the woke army, infiltrating our schools and teaching young people to hate white people and America as a whole. And she took her testimony all the way to Congress. Take a look. My father made this shirt for me, inspired by the gown that Representative Ocasio-Cortez wore to the Met Gala. And it says on here the names that we, the parents in the United States of America, have been called, including in the video that you featured, Chairman Raskin. Things like domestic terrorist, white supremacist, QAnon moms, 
What is it that we, the parents, have dared to stand up against in the United States of America over the last couple years? It is a divisive ideology expressed through this book called Critical Race Theory. It is a book that is taught in law schools, but it is translated into our school systems with books like this, Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. The trickle-down effect of the demonization of any human being because of their race. And joining me now is author of Woke Army and journalist, Azra Omani. Azra, thank you so much for being with me, and your testimony was so compelling. I know that you have dedicated yourself to fighting the Woke Army. So I want to start off right now with what should parents do? What can they learn from you on how to battle this in their own school boards and their own kids' schools? Well, thank you so much for having me speak with you, Tommy. I'm so happy to you know, reach your audience and talk to them about everything that I've learned over literally 20 years of battling this woke army. So the first thing I want to say is take you know, guidance from what Tommy does every single day. Be unapologetic in who you are and what you are and what your values are about. When I stood, you know, sat there in Congress, I wore that shirt intentionally because I wanted them to look at me and see in front of their faces all those names that they have called us to try to shut us up. And Tommy, you know, you've been the target of character assassinations yourself. And the best thing that we can teach our children is to stand up with moral courage. It's so difficult right now because they are going after young people, whether it's through yeah. the Rainbow Mafia, LGBTQ grooming, gender affirmation, that kind of thing, or it's the CRT, or it's the BLM. I mean, you name it. Kids are bombarded with this every single day. They spend more time in school than they spend at home with their parents or in other extracurricular activities. So it's no wonder that kids are coming home, essentially Marxist communists at this point. And it's being put into children's books while they're out there banning books like James and the Giant Peach because they say things that are offensive to fat people. You know, they're out there putting in books that have soft porn and then, of course, critical race theory. What can parents do at the local level to root this out and to do it if they don't have the intestinal fortitude of someone like you who is so unapologetic and has so much charisma, they feel like they just don't have it within them? You know, I feel that way too, though, Tommy. Seriously, I am over at my neighbor's house right now because they're fixing the floors in my house. They're hammering away. I don't feel like I'm at my very best right now. And I want to do my best for you, Tommy, and to communicate this message. But, you know, we we have to practice what we preach with our kids, which is just show up. You know, I may not have my makeup on perfectly. I may not look the best that I want to look. I wanted to lose 20 pounds before I launched this book out into the world. So I'd be in great fighting spirit. We all have those aspirations for ourselves, but what you are and who you are is good enough. And when you go and you speak from the heart about that, which concerns you for the future of the kids and, and your and the future of America, it's it's uh, reverberates. I was just that mom, June 2020. You know, Tommy, most of the stuff that you just said, you laid out, I would have thought was hyperbole back then. But I didn't bring these books to Congress, but I'm bringing them here. This is indeed, just like you said, the BLM notebook, you know, that is put in the hands of our little children. 
to push the critical race theory, the activism, the indoctrination. And then I don't know if you've seen this lovely classic, Tommy. If you're a drag queen and you know it, they're taking the songs and the words that children are familiar with, putting them in these colorful you know, images, and then sending these messages, you know? If you're a drag queen and you know it, say ta-da. It just goes on and on like this. And what's the intention? The intention is to indoctrinate. And, you know, I have always been a classic liberal all my life. Nothing has changed in my point of view. I'm probably, you know, by many people's definition, a feminist. And I consider myself a person who stands up for human rights and women's rights. But this is about children's rights, you know, and this is about not exposing children to ideas that are beyond their age appropriate level. And unfortunately, these are folks who, just like you say, they take the system that we have of public schools and now private schools too, and they've turned them into indoctrination camps. You know, I've long said that if the thing that you're most worried about is being called a name, you don't have your priorities in order. But that is a tactic that gets a lot of people to shut up, especially a lot of parents, because they're in this spot where they don't want to be called like you've been called the face of white supremacy. They, they don't want to be called a QAnon mom. They don't want to be called a domestic terrorist or a white supremacist or a homophobe. They don't want to be called a name. And they don't want even more so what they do to impact their kids at school and then have their kids be called those names. So it's a cycle and it's really hard to break. But I do find that whether it's in conservatism, whether it's at a college campus, or whether it's in, in, a, in a younger grade or a younger classroom, parents that stand up find that other parents will join them in that fight. Sometimes it just takes one. But I want to talk to you about the motivation behind all of this, because we know it's happening, right? We know that these are indoctrination camps. But I try to ask all of my guests why they think educators and administrators why are they doing this? What is their goal for this practice? Yeah, you know, I would never have imagined that this could have been possible in America's public school system. But this um, book that I've written is a strange entry point. You know, down here in the corner is the flag of Islam. This is, I'm a Muslim. And up in the far corner is a flag, uh, the symbol of communism, socialism, Marxism, the hard left. And so what's happened is that I came in to this fight as a Muslim reformer, as a feminist, fighting for equal rights, human rights. And what I learned is what we know, which is the indoctrination starts in the schools, right? A lot of people are familiar with the term madrasas. Well, I was born in India, I come from South Asia, and I know those madrasas very well. They are the indoctrination camps for the extremist interpretation of Islam. So that's how I arrived into this conversation about America's K-12 system. For Since 2001, I have been fighting for an interpretation of Islam inside the madrasa and inside society that's a Islam of grace, you know, an Islam in which women get equal rights, in which you do not kill somebody because they are LGBTQ. You can have whatever moral position you want, but you don't kill someone. A, a mother who doesn't wear a wedding ring is not punished by a jail sentence or death. It's an Islam of, of the 21st century. 
But Tommy, just like you, I have been called every name in the book, right? Islamophobe, anti-Muslim, and it will be repeated, you know, with just you and me having this conversation together. But what I saw in that examination of Islamic indoctrination is what is happening now in our K through 12 schools with wokeism. This is the new ism that we're fighting. I could never have imagined that this kind of sectarian identity politics that I had been fighting in my Muslim community would be now the practice of teachers in the United States of America, separating children by race, by gender, making them play ridiculous games like privilege bingo. Can you just imagine having them walk the oppression walk and walk into an oppression matrix to decide whether they're the oppressed or the oppressor? It's an ideology of division. And, and that's what, it's a strange, you know, even for me, when I saw this cover, it was shocking and jarring, but these are the two isms that should help us understand why they're doing what they're doing, Tommy, to your question. They are doing this because they want to dumb down our kids and then indoctrinate them with their divisive ideology. We'll be remembered for how we fight this fight. Where can people get your book to learn more about everything that you just told us? They can get the book at amazon.com and please do buy it there and write a review because Tommy, you've got your haters and they're my haters. They're already on there trying to give the book one star reviews. So go on there and fix the algorithm, you guys. You have the power. So please do get the book because this is a work of love on my part. It's a work of love for this nation that gave me a home as a four-year-old girl arriving as an immigrant from India. We appreciate everything that you've done and being one of those brave people that's willing to stand and take the arrows for the greater good. And I hope everyone will get your book because it's an incredible message and you're incredibly brave to deliver it. Please keep doing what you're doing. Please keep fighting the good fight. And thank you so much for being with me. Oh, thank you, Tommy. And I wish everyone great courage. You've got it in you to stand up for our country. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful message. All right. And up next, if you had low confidence in the FBI before, last night's interview with FBI Director Chris Ray will not leave you feeling any better, I can tell you that. My final thoughts are next. Last night in an interview with Fox News, FBI Director Christopher Wray all but confirmed the lab leak theory. But as for everything else that came out of his mouth, well, lies. It's time for final thoughts. You know, they say the truth will set you free, but if that's the case, our government institutions are prisoners and hostages of their own BS. Case in point, FBI Director Christopher Wray, who, and I'll give him a slight bit of credit for this, sat down with Fox News' Brett Baer to answer some tough questions. And when I say answer, I mean pretty much dodged, skirted, omitted, and lied. You know, I hear these claims of politicization, but I can tell you that the FBI is and it's going to stay independent. And that means following the facts wherever they lead, no matter who likes it. 
Okay, so explain why a former President Trump was raided by your agency for classified documents. He had the power to declassify, and we've yet to see Joe Biden's Penn Biden Center or super secure back of garage really even investigated, let alone raided. And speaking of the very obvious two-tiered justice system, why, Mr. Ray, was a Christian pro-life activist arrested by 30 of your agents in front of his family while BLMers and Antifa freaks lit cities on fire relatively unabridged for an entire summer in the name of justice? All right, so let's talk about by the book. Mark Houck, Pennsylvania pro-life activist, arrested at his home in front of his family for an alleged violation of the Freedom of Access of Clinics Act, alleged incident which he was protesting in front of an abortion clinic. He was recently acquitted of all charges at trial. The show of force for that arrest, that decision to use that force, was that by the book? Those decisions are made as they should be by the commanders on the ground in the field office who have the expertise about when to conduct operations safely and securely for the safety of everybody involved. And to my knowledge, those processes were all followed in this case. Yeah, I mean, historically, FBI protocol is that a defendant has, if he has no criminal history, is not believed to be violent or pose a threat to public safety, that he or she is permitted to self-surrender rather than subject uh, dynamic execution of an arrest warrant. And here's what I'm talking about is the dual system. You know, there's that for a pro-life activist, but not that for a Black Lives Matter protester who maybe torches a federal building um, over the summer. So that disparity, that dichotomy is what sticks in people's mind. I understand that people have their opinions. Uh, all I can tell you is that we have one standard, one standard, uh, which is irrespective of ideology, of politics. In this country, it doesn't matter what you're upset about or who you're upset with. You don't get to express that upset with violence. And Again, Mr. Ray, the taxpayers who paid for one to two billion dollars in damages nationally thanks to BLM in the summer of 2020 alone would like to have a word with you on that one. But as annoying as the entirety of his interview was due to his sheer smugness and shamelessness that oozed out of his every pore, this was by far my favorite lie. The FBI does not and is not in the business of functioning as the truth police. Understood. So we don't tell social media companies to censor anything. Well, or the Twitter file suggests something different. I mean, there was an FBI request numerous times. Um, Taibbi puts it out, FBI San Francisco request to ban certain accounts. Uh, Twitter personnel in this case went on to look for reasons to suspend all four accounts that the FBI wanted to ban or, or suspend. Um, was Is it appropriate to flag social media accounts for on Twitter or elsewhere due to politics or uh, government policies when it comes to COVID? Uh, is it appropriate in any way? You're saying it doesn't happen, but there's evidence that it had. We don't tell social media companies to ban accounts. But you suggest. Well, what we do is tell social media companies about information that we have about foreign disinformation campaigns by foreign actors, by foreign intelligence services. And those companies then make decisions about what, if anything, they want to do about it. <laughs> what foreign disinformation campaign involved American citizens questioning COVID origins, lockdowns, masks, and experimental vaccines and their mandates, Mr. Ray? Folks, he sat there and he bald-faced lied to us, and guess what? He's probably going to get away with it, and he's probably going to do it again and again 
and again. This is Groundhog's Day, and we the people would like a word with the gopher, or rather the swamp rats who keep lying to us like we're stupid. Hell, even liberals aren't this stupid. And as for Chris Ray, he was nominated to the FBI director spot by Trump. So that just goes to show how deep this swamp runs. Who can we trust? Anyone? Bueller? 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 How can these people sleep at night? You know, say what you want about Donald Trump, but he didn't do this to the American people. Heck, he didn't even do this to his political enemies. I don't know where we go from here, but this ain't it. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.